Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you are a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products business. My name is Mark Graham, CEO of Common Skew and Right Sleeve, and I'm joined by my good friend and fellow chef, Danny Rosen, who is not only North Carolina's favorite son, but he is also president of Brand Fuel Promotions. Today, our guest is Chuck Hester, who joins the program as an expert on social media as it pertains to the boomer generation. With a foundation of more than 30 years experience in PR, social media, and the art of connecting, Chuck specializes in telling stories of companies that are the greatest thing you've never heard of, but need to know about. He does this from his vantage point as the managing partner of Chuck Hester Enterprises, a marketing and communications firm based in North Carolina. Chuck is also the author of the forthcoming book, Social Media for the Rest of Us, A Boomer's Perspective. Now, if you were to make a general statement about the boomer generation, it would be that most were slow to adopt the new marketing and communication methods personified by social media. As boomers did not come of age with a daily diet of Facebook and Twitter, this slow adoption is not entirely surprising. However, the boomer segment is making huge headway in the space and is rapidly redefining their relationship with new media. Gen Y, watch out. Promo Kitchen often talks about disruptive trends from a young person's vantage point, but today we are going to flip that paradigm on its head and explore some disruptive technology from a boomer's perspective. I think you'll be surprised by some of what we learn. Chuck, welcome to the program, my friend. Thanks, Mark. Greatly appreciate it. And Danny, good to talk to you again. Yeah. So why don't we jump in with an easy one here for you, Chuck. Why don't you explain a little bit about your career journey? I understand that you are a boomer yourself. And I'm interested in how you got to where you are right now. Well, the easiest reader's digest on that is I've always been a PR guy. I mean, I've always been a networker, connector since I was probably 11 years old, you know, selling grapefruit for fundraisers for the choir and church. I've always been a writer, journalist. That's where my training comes from, USC grad in journalism, and kind of fell backwards into public relations, but really kind of had a feel for it. The old cliche is, oh, you're good with people, so you'll be great in PR, right. is probably me personified as far right. as that goes. There's the only person in the room who I don't know yet is the stranger I haven't met. Right. So really, that's that's where my background comes from. But I, you know, I grew up in public relations, marketing, and over the last now 11 years, social media marketing, which uh, which kind of blows me away that it's now on, a, on the 11th year as far as that goes. So that's really where I grew up, right. uh, both on the agency side and the corporate side in, in marketing and PR. Right. So tell me a little bit about the shift into social media marketing. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you're a 30-year veteran in PR, marketing, and communication. So you came of age, uh, as I said in my intro, without that daily diet of Facebook and Twitter. So 11 years ago, tell me about that moment when you made that switch into social media. Well, ironically, the moment, if you will, was when my wife and I decided to relocate out of Southern California and we're looking for another market to go into. And that was either Boston, Atlanta, uh, and last minute somebody mentioned Raleigh, North Carolina. So I just started on LinkedIn with 27 connections and they were all in the Raleigh area and all in marketing, PR, and technology, which was my background. So that's really where I started. And fast forward about a year after that, when I got the job as director of communications for iContact, email marketing software company out here in in the Raleigh area. And basically, we had decided with the 20-year-old CEO that I was working with, 
at the time and decided that you know this this new social media thing is something we need to pay attention to. At that time, you could actually do blogger tours, yeah. it or not, where you yeah. could go visit bloggers and and work that way. Facebook had not been invented yet. Yeah. LinkedIn was there, so it was a lot of blogging at that point in time. But we really developed one of the first social media marketing programs based around what was coming up. I remember going to South by Southwest and seeing Twitter in 2009. Yep. Um, I believe for the first time outside of the, the conference rooms and, and the speakers getting pissed off because people were, you know, heads down tweeting the whole time. So <laughs> uh, it kind of evolved as we went along. You know, I've got a chapter in my book that talks uh, about the five social media superstars over 50. And one of them was a speaker at South by Southwest who hated it because uh, he said, you know, you're not paying attention to me. You're just tweeting about what I'm saying. And it really doesn't make sense to me. And he's since become a very large social media consultant in that regard. So, so that's kind of the evolution as far as that goes. So take me back to 2003. Here you are, your 20-year-old CEO has come in and pounded his fist on the table and said, we need to get into this new blogging, social media stuff. You moved into it. You started writing. You mentioned you've got that history in writing. Who is your original market in 2003, and how have you seen that market evolve in the last 10 years? That honestly was the start of influencer relations, which is one of the things I practice as well. Influencer advocate relations, meaning that folks who have a large following, you know, you try to get in touch with them. Back then, it could have been the New York Times reporter, for that matter. But folks who would really kind of expand your message and, and amplify the message you're trying to get out. So that was one of them. The other one was advocates, so the folks that small businesses, because we were, you know, eye contact was basically a small business email marketing platform. Right. Uh, so we were looking for small businesses and small business advocates. I mean, everybody from, you know, duct tape marketing and a wide yeah. variety of other people who were writing about small business yeah. would write about eye contact. And we would, you know, it, it was the base media relations that we were doing that then evolved into social media relations, if you will. And that's really where it, it all, it all kind of came from, is we were looking for mom bloggers to were known as mom bloggers back then, but small business bloggers, small business sites, and that's really who we were concentrating on on the media relations side. Right. And have things evolved since then? It has because, you know, and, and I love the the term that's come up recently, citizen journalism. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a positive and a negative uh, as far as I'm concerned. That's a very very long double-edged sword, but because of that, we have changed our, our techniques in regards to how we're going after the advocates and the influencers because we're looking for, you know, honestly, Jane Smith uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina may have a following of 150,000 people on Twitter, and she's a stay-at-home mom who, you know, has, has an amazing Pinterest board, and people pay attention to her arts and crafts, and if, if for some reason I have a client that is involved in an area that may be of interest to her audience, then I'm going to go after her and develop a relationship as a result. So yes, it's changed significantly. Anybody with a laptop, computer, tablet, you name the device, who is on, and you name the, the channel, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, can become an influencer, can become somebody who is, is uh, of interest to the brands, if you will. So Chuck, you jumped into the social media fray in 2003, and you certainly would have been a very, very early adopter because a lot of these major platforms didn't even exist by then. Danny, I'm curious, you know, you and I have collaborated a ton in, in, in recent years, but I actually don't know the answer to this question. When did you personally, as well as professionally through BrandFuel, jump into social media in earnest? God, I couldn't put a year on it, but I can recall the conversations guys like Chuck in our area were talking about social media and going to marketing conferences and events where marketers were looking at how businesses and their marketing departments were starting to evolve in a way that they weren't really sure how to manage it 
and what was going on in terms of people managed print spend. They managed, you know, it was their event planner, and, and all of a sudden, you know, social media sort of trickle into this, the marketing landscape, and I remember hearing about Facebook and, and Twitter in a business sense, because I, I personally was easy, I mean, I, that's sort of my thing, you know, it's a uh, slap picture up there and, and talk to people and, and connect with them that way, but from a business sense, it could have been an American Marketing Association meeting where there were a lot of big corporate questions around there, and we just jumped full bore right into it. I could go back and look at when our first post was for Brand Fuel, um, and it made a tremendous amount of sense then because we always wanted to be that company that was sort of boring into the, uh, the marketing space and, and trying new things there. And I think we made lots of mistakes. I think we should all go back and look at our first posts as yeah. corporations, organizations, and just laugh at ourselves. But oh, we yeah. learned it early, and, and it evolved, and, and it's become a big part of our marketing initiative. Well, and it's interesting to think about even the origins of Promo Kitchen that a lot of us all came together because of our activities in social media. I mean, that's certainly how you and I first met Danny years ago and then how a number of the other chefs all met. So it is really kind of cool to think of that. But uh, 2003, my gosh, mm. uh, Chuck, you would have been 44 at the time. I would have been 29. Yep. Danny, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but it's interesting. I, and I love that idea of going back and taking a look at that first post. I've got one other question then, Danny. I'm going to let you get some questions in here. Shifting over into social media for the boomer segment, something that I'm interested in, Chuck, because, of course, today everyone and their dog is an expert in social media. What the world does not need, or at least I'll speak for myself, is another expert in social media, another person tell you how to set up a Facebook page. I think that we've heard the narrative. We've, we've kind of moved on. I'm interested in this specific focus on boomers, Chuck. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you've created this practice, advising the boomer generation on the ins and outs of social media? Yeah, and, and it really stems from the book, which is Social Media for the Rest of Us, a Boomer's Perspective. There's a genesis. I mean, I can give you the origin story. Yeah. Uh, I was speaking at a conference, probably not too long ago, probably about three or four years ago. They had written one book on using LinkedIn to pay it forward and you know, did my normal speech on LinkedIn, how great it is, and here's what you need to know to do in business, so forth and so on. Came to the Q&A section, a lady raised her hand, and she said, well, I have a question on Twitter, and you know, she started rattling off, well, how do you reach me, how do you favorite? how do you, you know, so on and so on, all the jargon that if you're on Twitter you understand. And the next person that raised their hand was probably about my age at the time, and he raised his hand and stood up. He said, I don't have a question. I, I just have a statement. I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> and, and so that was really, and that's you know, the introduction of the book. That's part of the story that I tell. It really was kind of a light bulb, and it's been germinating for the last couple of years that this is the book that needs to be written. There are boomers out there. And as a matter of fact, if you go on my LinkedIn profile, I've got some published blogs on this subject. I'm a, a smart person in regards to, uh, and, and lazy at the same time, and then I'm blogging chapters as I go along. There's a published post out there called Beware the Experts, uh, the Next Generation of Social Media Experts. And it really is, quite frankly, a slam on millenniums and, and believing that they are experts because they've been on Facebook since uh, uh, you know, since they were in high school, and so they they become a social media expert. Yeah, I hate the term expert, by the way. Uh, Maven is the word I use, which is, you know, a person who has knowledge and imparts it to others. And Danny and I have talked about that as well. But really, it comes down to this: boomers are born networkers. Uh, we we know how to have a conversation. 
we understand how to communicate. We understand how to meet for coffee and talk one-on-one. -on -one. And I challenged the quote-unquote experts to put down their smartphones and devices, pick up the phone, talk to somebody directly. I got major comments back on this. this, this the hits on this was 7,000 plus, plus 50-some-odd comments. One of the comments that came back was from Millennium said, you don't understand, I use Snapchat all the time. I'm communicating with people on a regular basis. And she just made my point. It really is come down to, you know, there's folks out there who say, oh, yeah, I'm a social media consultant. And all transparency here, I work out of Starbucks on a regular basis as a consultant. And, and I see these kids come in and they're talking to real estate agents about how they're going to develop their SEO and, you know, their Facebook pages and the like. And they're, they're 20, 21 years old. And, and then the other story real quick, Mark, if I can, you know, I sent in a Facebook quote-unquote expert into one of the ad agencies here in Raleigh, North Carolina, who was running Dollar Tree. And, and he said, I need a Facebook page for Dollar Tree. That's what it looks like. And I called the guy back the following day and I said, so how did my expert work out? He said, he blew out after the first question. I said, what was the first question? He said, have you had a real corporate job? Hmm. Have you actually had a paycheck? And he said, no, I'm, I'm a Facebook expert. I've been since high school. So he said, well, you, then you cannot relate to corporate. You cannot relate to consumers because, in fact, you, you don't know the ins and outs of business. And that's what it really comes down to. So that's where it all came from. And I'm, I'm really kind of striking a significant chord with both boomers and millenniums, believe it or not. A LinkedIn group that I just created around that subject on social media for boomers, I and mean, I've got... We're, we're building as we go, but 30-some-odd people already signed up over the last week, and half of them are millenniums. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about how do we work together as generations, and I believe, Danny, you know Tim Moore. He, that's what he does for a living is talk specifically about intergenerational communication. That's what it comes down to. But long story short on all of this, boomers are born networkers. They're born communicators. They understand how to connect with people. And the interesting part about social media is that everybody says, well, you know, you do understand it's about relationships. Yeah, and everybody needs to be involved with relationships. And, and yet they're, they're all sitting behind their screens all the time. Yep. Interesting. So I like the fact that you're really trying to hammer home that folks in our generation really need to understand social networking, social platforms, and, and vice versa. Millennials need to really find and embrace sort of the real world, the stuff we grew up in, and there has to be some balance. Um, sure. And that's just, that's great. I, I would have thought that you would have had fewer millennials sign up because of the stereotypes that come with a millennial that, you know, they, they're arrogant, they know it all. And I think it's really refreshing. And when we interview younger folks at Brand Fuel, I think that there's a shift afoot. And you're, you're obviously a part of that, and you're a voice there that millennials are trying to, desperately, I think, trying to find their way in, in this you know, hybrid sort of world that is very foreign to them right now. And I have a sense that the people sitting across my desk who are having these conversations are really be coming around a bit and more open to learning what they might consider old school techniques. But, um, you know, like you said, it all comes down to developing core relationships and you can't do all of that online. So great points there. Let's talk a little bit about social selling. I, I think we're all selling something. And I think there are do's and don'ts in that space. But tell us what your definition of social selling is, Chuck, and what your recommendations are in that space, the, the sort of the things you should do and the things you shouldn't. 
Yeah, you know, it's developing relationships that then eventually, and, and like you said, Danny, we're all selling. I mean, you know, we're online for a couple of different reasons. I'm online for, for my marketing PR work that I do for my clients, but I'm also online to pay it forward and help other people, you know, and honestly talk about the, the great roasted pumpkin soup that I did on the weekend, that type of thing. But point on that, on the social selling is, you know, it's really about putting down, as I like to say in my, my talks, it's putting down the microphone and listening and having a community conversation eventually from that, there will be some business opportunities. There's no doubt about that. So it, it is developing the what I call the, the changing of the value proposition in social media is basically talking to the person and finding out more about them first as opposed to, well, here's what I have to offer and here's how I can help you and then learning from them what, what they've got going on, and then they're getting a chance to tell them about what you do. And if there's a relationship that builds, and it's, it's, it's a trust factor that you run into as well. So social, more than anything else, any marketing platform I've used in the last 30 years is all about trust. It really is about brand trust and one-on-one -on -one individual trust to be able to build that trust to the point where they feel comfortable using your services, buying your products, or, or interacting with you directly as a partner, business partner. So that's a huge part of what I do is building relationships, and I've got some really cool friends of mine who do this very, very well, a guy named Ted Rubin who does Return on Relationship, and Shell Israel, former journalism guy who has now written three books, including Twitterville, but his latest one is, is all about trust, brand trust, and, and so that's a, that's a big part of what I do. Can you share a, like a, maybe a case study or a real-world experience? Uh, around something that worked for you in terms of this idea of, of, of building trust, something that allowed you to reach out and give and then to receive as well. Sure. We talk a lot about in our space the word sell comes from an old English word selling, S-E-L-L-A-N, which means to give. And I think right. that's a core principle. But w give us a good example of what, what's worked for you. Yeah, and, and you know the, the basic marketing principle in regard to sales is finding the pain point and, and helping people to overcome that pain. So that's another aspect of where I work with, with selling and marketing. But probably the best example is what I'm doing right now for marketing and social media for the rest of us. I, I've got a core group of people called Brand Champions who will basically get a chance to read the book first, review it on Amazon, and then tweet about it or post it on Facebook when it comes out. But that was, you know, the, the 15 some odd people that I'm involved with, I've built those relationships over the last anywhere between seven to five years. Everybody from Craig Newmark to a wide variety of other people. By the way, the giving back aspect, I have a one-five rule that I use for Twitter, which is basically retweet five or share five pieces of information before you ask somebody to, to uh, share your information. Hmm. And, and when you do that, and then one of the reasons, and I do have a relationship directly with Craig Newmark, who is a contact friend of mine from Craig's List, but you know, Craig and I have a relationship where I share his information on bets and the things he does with the Defense Department and like. And I can email Craig selectively and say, hey, I've got a tweet that I'd like you to post out if I do my podcast and want to get information out or about my book or whatever. And, and he will do that. But he would not have done that five to seven years ago when we first met because we didn't have a relationship and we hadn't built that relationship up as he went along. And I've had a chance to meet him a couple of times in person as well. So we built that relationship. So that's really you know a big aspect of, of what we do. The other part of that is, so I'll give you another example uh, real quick, and that's, that's Ford and Scott Mont who is now actually with another another ad agency PR firm but left Ford recently, but he was their social media VP, back lack of a better way to put that. Everybody knew Scott Monty from Ford. They didn't know Ford's Scott Monty, if you understand the difference. And the difference was Scott built up relationships. 
and to the point where Ford became the number one social media car company in the world. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Everybody would agree that that's the case. And he built relationships and was able to really build his brand equity. And again, it kind of dovetails into one of my favorite expressions, which is what I call halo branding. And that's just what I mentioned, which is Scott Monty from Ford as opposed to Ford Scott Monty. That's a halo effect. Ford loved it because Scott was well-known as Scott Monty from Ford as opposed to, you know, this is another Ford employee. So those are a couple of good examples. I think it was really interesting building on that Ford example that you saw other huge Fortune 500 companies that were jumping into social media and doing exactly what you just mentioned. Uh, another right. good example is Dell, and I remember there were two gentlemen, one Lionel and another one Richard, and it was yeah, Richard at Dell, and these Dell. guys yeah. became heroes. And what's interesting is if you think about Dell and you think about Ford, these are huge companies, but probably companies that are not considered innovative by today's standards. I mean, like almost like their innovation happened decades before, or in the case of Dell, maybe one decade, in the case of Ford, several decades. But it is fascinating to see how it is that they were able to leverage social from an early position to really rebuild how the consumer saw them. I've got a question here for you, Chuck, Sure. and it has to do with a quote that was on your Facebook page, and you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier on, a, a question or two ago, It'll and it's... It, well, no, no, no. It's it, it's a great one, but I've I've got something I want to kind of throw in. It's almost like the collision of two things that I see are kind of standing in opposition to one another, and I want okay. you to comment on it. Okay. So, so from your Facebook page, you're you're talking about a, a quote: "Boomers have a major advantage: experience in building relationships, and that is the true power of social media platforms." So, to again make the point that hey, boomers are spectacular at building relationships. Relationship management is really important in social media, so ergo, they should be amazing at it. From my experience in having done a number of social media presentations within the promotion products industry, I have a number of boomers that come up to me afterwards and say, great presentation, but you know what really troubles me as a boomer is this idea of transparency and oversharing and giving away secrets. So even though I will agree with you that boomers are master networkers and that they have all those great communication interpersonal skills, they're actually a generation that was a general statement here, of course, that likes to keep secrets uh, close to their chest and doesn't like to overshare because they may think it's narcissistic or they may quite simply think, hang on, I'd be giving that secret to my competitor. So transparency on one hand kind of seems to be the major thing that prevents boomers from being truly effective at social, yet you're obviously seeing something different. Can you comment on that collision of those two ideas? Yeah, and actually, you know, I'll harken back to my LinkedIn blogs that I'm doing. One of the blogs that I wrote was called The Dangers of Oversharing. The yeah. Internet is Forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, an illustrative photo that I use is my mom's 1946 high school picture out of her yearbook mm. that I found online. And mm. she's never been online. So there's a lot of, you know, the transparency aspect is, is scary for a lot of different people, the millennials and the generation X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to call the, you know, the ones that are coming up. And I've got an uh, almost 20-year-old daughter who we have this conversation with on occasion, and it came up, believe it or not, in Blue Bloods, which is one of my favorite shows. You know, the college-age person was getting ready to try and get into Rutgers, and the Rutgers admission person came forward and said, yeah, but, you know, you, you trashed one of your instructors in your high school where you're at right now on Twitter, so we really don't like those type of people. So we have those conversations on a regular basis. Yes, uh, 
you know, transparency is, there's degrees of transparency, and that's the best way to describe it. For the longest time while I was on Facebook, until I was starting to promote several different things, including my new book, I challenged my audiences when I gave speeches to be able to name all my daughters and to tell me exactly where I live and what neighborhood and, and wherever I was at the time, hmm. because I didn't share that much information as far as that goes, and still don't to a certain extent. And my point is this, there's degrees of transparency, and, and the biggest issues that, that boomers run into with social media are two things. One is, am I going to overshare? And my point back to them is usually, you know what, you're in control of how much you share. So it's up to you to decide how much information you put out there. It's not your Facebook I know all of this information and we're going to broadcast it like crazy, which they can do sometimes, but you have control over that, especially on LinkedIn, by the way, because you're in control of your media there. But the other part of that is the bigger intimidation for boomers, and I get this, uh, you know, like you, some people coming up to me and say, hey, social media is great, and yeah, you're right, I'm a great networker, but I, I can't do technology. Hmm. I can't understand how to, you know, do a post and do whatever. My best case study example is my 73-year-old mother-in-law hmm. uh, who loved the idea of being on Facebook to see grandchildren and meet new friends and so forth and so on, but was intimidated by technology until my wife came alongside her and showed her how to use Facebook. And now she's all over it and really left, and it's, it's combating some of the issues that she runs into of being a 73-year-old in a smaller community and how do you communicate with people. Hmm. The world's been opened up as a result. Hmm. So, yes, there are issues, but, you know, I also would say there are issues for anybody who's trying to learn a new technology, and quite frankly, social media platforms are technology-based. We totally get that. But if you strip that away and say, look, it's really all about having a conversation. So if you write a post like the post that you, you mentioned on Facebook that I wrote, people are going to, hey, I like that, that information. I'm going to share it with somebody else. That's similar to you, know, you having a conversation in a coffee shop with Danny Rose, and, and he says something very witty, which he usually does. And you know, I, I meet somebody down the street, Martin Rossman, for instance, and say, hey, Marty, you know, I got a chance to see Danny Rose, and he said this. And so that's sharing. It's just at a smaller scale. So uh, interesting perspectives on this. Those are great, great points. And we've been talking a lot about the individual, and maybe we can sort of merge into the corporate world a little bit. This sure. theme here, transparency versus relationship building, let's talk about that in the corporate environment. And right. I know you, you are in charge of running corporate boot camps. Maybe this is an opportunity for a little bit of a, an advertorial kind of thing here, but sure. what are you doing in corporate boot camps, and how is this theme of sort of you know, transparency uh, versus relationship building, you know, how are you helping businesses there? Well, one of the things I do with my boot camps, I'm actually in the middle of one right now. I did a group of eight people out of a, a travel promo company, and we did a, a group session first, and now I'm doing one-on-one -on -one sessions on how to use LinkedIn. And one of the things that I talk to them about is the difference between a personal profile and a company page on LinkedIn, for instance. A lot of people don't quite frankly understand how a LinkedIn profile is actually your own personal profile, even if you're, you know, you work for BrandFuel as VP of Marketing you still have a personal profile, and so it reflects you. It doesn't reflect your resume. So I talk about how a LinkedIn profile is an online portfolio as opposed to a resume, for one thing. Uh, and then the other part of that is I work with corporations at, at the, you know, the, the CEO level and talk to them about how do you do social media policy in such a way that your employees don't feel like they're infringed upon as far as their private rights, but at the same time, you're able to, to make sure that the messages that are out there are 
consistent with your brand messaging, your marketing, and quite frankly, your ethics. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. Let's talk about Domino's for a second and United and all of the other things that have blown up in people's faces. So, you know, I work with them on balance and being able to understand that, yes, while social media is personal, if you are, in fact, representing your brand, then, you know, there's certain guidelines you have to follow. And they are what I call loose guidelines as opposed to strict guidelines. You will not tweet between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. because you're working for Domino's. I mean, that just doesn't really work for me. But at the same time, yes, while you have a personal profile on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, fill in the blank, you are still representing our company. So anything you mention about our company needs to be, you know, along the lines of our brand book that we may have. So, you know, like I said, there's, you have to strike a balance. It's not an easy, it's kind of a scary world for, as, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, the, you know, like the, the Fords of the world who are old line corporate people who, who are so used to, well, let's just throw $5 million a, a day at, you know, online advertising and see what happens. And they're not used to people coming in there and saying, hey, the Ford Fiesta is the best thing I've ever driven. And all of a sudden that blows up on Twitter and they have to respond to it positively or negatively. I was going to ask if I can share with you uh, Brandfuel social media policy. It's a short paragraph, um, sure. and we, we call it social media slash netiquette. And I want to get your, your thoughts on whether it's too open or, or not, you know, it just needs to have more and what you think about it from, from your perspective. So sure. uh, it's social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, Flickr, et cetera, et cetera. And social networking are an important part of Brandfuel's marketing and communications plan, and it helps us build our brand and grow our business. Clients look to us to set industry trends in this regard. Brandfuel encourages employees to invest time in understanding these mediums, LinkedIn in particular. However, management requires that employees respect company time at work with regard to personal use. Use social media appropriately at work and make sure your online activity does not interfere with your client or professional commitments. Employees found abuse of social media network activity, blogs, and wikis for personal use during business hours may be subject to disciplinary action. Importantly, do not post anything that could potentially threaten our business or the reputation of brand fuel or its clients. And that's it. No, that's, that's well written. I mean, you know, you really have kind of hit on, on everything. And it harkens back, quite frankly, to where I was yesterday afternoon at about 4.30 when I was winding down on what I was doing and getting ready to, honestly, do a roasted pumpkin soup. And I thought, okay, so it's not quite 5 o'clock. And should I be posting this on Facebook right now? Because I want clients to understand that I do work, and, and that's what it comes down to. But, you know, you hit on that policy in particular hits on, on one issue that people run into. Oh, you're letting me on social media. That's great. Then I can, oh, you know, five posts on you know, how great brand fuel is and one or two posts on the fact that I love this, you know, new rescue dog that I found. Um, so you know, abuse of social media is something that, that corporations and companies need to address. But like you said, it needs to be in such a way that it doesn't come down as dictatorial. Uh, and at the, at the same time, it doesn't interfere with work and what needs to be done. And then finally, Danny, the, the other aspect of that particular couple of paragraphs that you read is that it needs to represent your brand. It needs to, you need to understand that if you're on social media during business hours, quite frankly, you're representing our brand and please be aware of that. Thank you. I think, Danny, that's so fascinating. And this It strikes me that there is such an incredible fine line and an incredible amount of gray in all of this because I think that we can probably all agree that if, you know, 
you had an employee, Danny, or, or myself, or Chuck, you had an employee that was posting, let's say, suggestive photographs of them on the weekend, you know, doing a keg stand that, you know, you might say, that's, that's not cool. Now, then you could also say, Chuck, your roasted pumpkin soup recipe, which, by the way, I'd like you to share with me because it sounds yeah, good. Absolutely. Um, you know, you posting that at three o'clock, if you were an employee at Right Sleeve, I'd say, giddy up. That's amazing because, you know, we've got a lot of clients that like food and, and, uh, and, and that's classic relationship building. So, right. um, but then you could also argue, well, hang on a second. Let's say your client base is, you know, in the party business or you sell to bars or you sell to edgy companies that where partying is core to their brand. Well, if that's the case, those suggestive Instagram photos are actually a perfect marketing channel because chances are the distributor with an employee who's posting that stuff is going to get the business over the stodgy, you know, button down boring company that is posting flyers of stress toys. So right. it's really interesting and I think that so much of it and we've struggled with this at, at, at our company at Right Sleeve over the years, that I think for us we completely agree with what Danny is saying that you know there has to be guidelines. But I think for us what is probably more important is does this content mesh well with the kind of clientele that we're serving? And if it builds that relationship and it's done in a respectful way, then I don't care if they're posting at 10 o'clock in the morning and posting selfies that may come across as unprofessional to one firm, but if it's appropriate for our client and it's going to help us build that relationship further, then I say it's fair game. Yeah, and, and the marketing, you know, the, the basic marketing principle there is it's not just content, it's context. And that's really yeah. what it comes down to. So, you know, and the second aspect of that is, you know, being true to your brand. So if your brand, like you said, is edgy, then, you know, edgy, edgy type posts are fine. Uh, if your brand is, in fact, like, you know, EF Hutton, uh, I'm dating myself, but or something along that line, or financial organization, then that edgy content is definitely not appropriate. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what it really comes down to. I mean, I'm consistent with my brand, and, and that's one of the things I, I also counsel on is personal and professional branding and how they, they interact and how they, they, um, they mesh sometimes positively and negatively. So, you know, my personal brand has never changed over the last you know, 11 years or so I've been on social media, uh, it's always been there as a pay-it-forward advocate and somebody who you know, is actively involved in marketing and social media and the like. That I'm very consistent about, and I talk to people on a regular basis in my boot camps about how to be consistent in their branding yeah. and, and for their corporation execs to understand that personal branding is as important as professional branding. Yeah, that idea of consistency is, is such a great point, so thank you so much, Chuck, for raising that. I've got a question for you, Chuck. We're, we're going to go deep here, so um, okay. we'll see how I put this together. So I have been approached, and I, I think, Danny, you have been approached within the broader promotional products industry by boomers, by, by some boomers, and this is going to be a very sort of general categorical kind of statement here, okay. where you've got someone who might be in their mid to late 50s, maybe early 60s, and they truly feel that their best days are behind them. Margins are shrinking. Customers are getting younger. Customers are not loyal anymore, and they're now feeling increasingly like a fish out of water. Add to this sort of toxic reality is social media and a changed 
paradigm with regard to how customers expect to be communicated with. You know, the lunch meetings and the golf course outings are no longer as popular with, you know, now the new 25-year-old buyer. And, and some of these boomers are now kind of looking at their career prospects within our industry. And I could probably say that this applies to boomers uh, in other industries as well. Sure. And are kind of looking at it going, you know what, I've got another 10 years. Do I reinvent myself or do I just continue slogging it along for the next 8 to 10 years so I can get my reduced paycheck but still get some kind of paycheck and just hobble along into retirement? Or is there an opportunity to really reinvent themselves? So my question to you is, you're a boomer. You mentioned that you're 55. I would say a very young 55 uh, at that, Chuck. Thank you. What would you counsel me if I was coming to you as a colleague, uh, as someone that was, you know, in my 50s and 60s, and saying to you, Chuck, you know what? I'm just going to throw the towel in. I can't deal with this LinkedIn stuff. I can't deal with these young whippersnappers anymore. You know what? I had a good run, but I'm out of here. What would you tell me? Well, there's a couple of entities that I would counsel there. First of all, thank you for for mentioning the reinventors because that's actually one of my terms that I use is the reinventors are folks like I mentioned Shell Israel who was a former journalist and now is uh, you know an author and writer and yeah. social media consultant. Yeah, he's brilliant uh, we, by the way. Yeah, we we consider Shell and, and Paula Gillen and several other folks when we meet up and we do meet up on a regular basis. We're all involved with the Society of New Communications Research, for instance. But when we get together, we call ourselves reinventors. You know, it it's, takes social media out of the the picture. If somebody came to you and said, you know what? the industry's changing, and it's no longer horse and buggy, it's going to be you know, the, the assembly line, this is what it looks like. You do have two choices. You have, okay, yeah, I'm going to go work for McDonald's and, and I'm stuck, or you spend time learning, and you, you have the capability, and that's one of the things that I always try to tell people, even at 55, I'm still learning on a regular basis. If you're not, then you shouldn't be involved in business. So spend time relearning things, uh, but the other thing is, you know, the skills that you already have, and we mentioned some of them earlier, which is networking, interpersonal communications, you already have those. So use those and apply those skills, and you'd be fascinated to see how, yes, you can deal with the, as you put them, uh, I don't use this term necessarily, the whippersnappers, but, you know, that that's really where you can apply. And the other side of that, the other entity that I talk about is corporations who really need to embrace the boomers. And there's several organizations, interns over 40 and the like, that do this and, and say, look, you know what, we need some quote-unquote gray hairs in our organization to come alongside the millenniums and the, the Gen XYs and be able to, to mentor them in the fine art of business communication and business in general and become a resource for them. So it becomes a two-way street, if you will, that we can learn from the millennials. God bless I can learn from millennials and vice versa. I mean, I really, you know, I embrace those do that. So that's that would be my advice. Yeah, and Chuck, that's phenomenal. And I think that to make sure that our listeners know that my position is is a balanced one for every frustrated boomer that I have had an interaction with. There certainly are several very inspirational boomers that are in our industry that think like 15-year-olds, even though they might be in their 60s. So exactly. I think that it's really a mindset, and, and, and that's really what it comes down to. And, and it has nothing really to do with age. No, age is a number as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Chuck, it, I'm just taking a look at our time, and it's really hard to believe that we're now bumping up to our time limit here. And wanted to say a huge thanks on behalf of myself and Danny, as well as all of the people that are part of the Promo Kitchen community. It, uh, uh, it was a true honor having you on. It's always great having non-industry experts come in and, and provide perspective in a way that I don't think people within the industry are able to do, because I think that so many of us are just so close to the problem. So a big, big thank you on that. And I also promised in our show notes that I would let listeners know about your book, when it's coming out and where to get it. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but of course the title is Social Media for the Rest of Us, A Boomer's Perspective, written by none other than Chuck Hester. It is available for pre-order right now off of Chuck's website. And Chuck, can you remind us of that website? Yeah, the pre-order page actually is book.chuckhester.com. Okay. That's the easiest way to find it. And I've also got a Facebook page called SM for Boomers. If you just type in SM for Boomers, branding guy that I am, I'm, you know, I also have a Twitter account for that and a LinkedIn group called Social Media for Boomers, which you can check all of those out. Or just contact me directly, Chuck at ChuckHester.com. I'm very accessible and love to, uh, love to get a chance to, uh, to, to connect with your listeners as well. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been so much fun, and uh, you have a wonderful day. Uh, you too, and it was my pleasure. Take care. Thanks, Danny.